Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church on this, the second Sunday, uh, the second Sunday of Advent. We're so glad that you are here today. I had to think about that for a second, make sure that it was that I had that correct. But it's so good to have you all here today, and you are here for a very special Sunday. As you may have noticed, there are two very special things going on today. And the first I want to mention is that at this, the conclusion of this service, we will be having a brief meeting of the congregation. I know that's why you came here today. <laughs> but we always have it on the, on the Christmas pageant Sunday because we want to make sure that we have a quorum, frankly. And so, so please keep your seats at the end of our final hymn today. We will be having a brief meeting of the congregation, and I'll explain all of that. But that's not even the biggest thing that's going on here today. The other big thing that's going on today, as you see, is that we have our Christmas pageant at the 11 o'clock service. And that is going to be so much fun. As Joe mentioned earlier, if you, uh, if you were not planning to do so, please, you ought to come back and be a part of that Christmas pageant. It is wonderful. I've said in the past that the Christmas pageant is not just fun. It's not just cute. It's also important. And I'll explain why that is in just a second. But our scripture reading this morning for this service is from the book of Luke. It's from chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something a little different this morning. This morning we're going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to try something a little new. This morning I want you to help me to share in the reading of our scripture passage. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke, but because so many of you have heard this story so many times, I'm going to read it and then give you an opportunity to fill in the blanks. Now, I don't want you to feel like this is a trap or a test or anything like that, although I know for some of you it should be. You know this story backwards and forwards. But before we begin, let's just practice. Let's warm up a little bit with this exercise so that you get get good and used to doing it before we even start. Let's practice with something very familiar. Let's take a little practice run here, something not from the Bible. And I promise this is not from the Bible, even if up until now you thought it was. Okay? So, you fill in the blank when I leave a silent space. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the? House. Not a creature was stirring, not even a? Okay, you've got it. You've got the basic formula here. Okay, so here we are. We're going to do it with the part that is in the Bible. So Luke chapter 2, if you'd like to follow it, it's going to be on the screens. It's also on page 1018 in your pew Bibles. But you know what? You don't even have to worry about that because I know you know it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, aren't you glad I didn't make you read that one, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And a man named also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called? Good, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in? Good job. And laid him in a? Because there was no room for them in the? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their? By night. Somebody who said sheeps. (laughs) Flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well done. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. That was either really fun or really awkward for you. I imagine there's some people who are thinking, is it time to go now? I'm sorry I didn't like that. But for those of you who grew up in the church, the Christmas story is so familiar that we almost take it for granted. We can even fill in the words. But you know what? There are a lot of people who haven't heard this story and have no idea what Christmas is all about or even how it started. You know, I've often wondered what Christmas would look like to an alien. I can just imagine the captain of a Martian scout ship reporting back to his home planet. I imagine it might go something like this. We have just arrived on Earth, and it appears that we've landed in the middle of a tremendous festival. It it appears to be a religious festival celebrating the rivalry of two gods. One is called Santa Claus. He is the god of winter and feasting and gift-giving. He has an army of elves. He's fat and is the very image of luxury and gluttony, overindulgence. He is the spirit of tacky sweaters and magic. He is a jolly deity, but but he is also a god of judgment, separating people into two categories, naughty and nice. One night a year, he travels around the world in a flying sleigh, delivering his gifts to his followers. The other is called Jesus Christ. The holiday is supposedly named after him. This Jesus was allegedly a divine human hybrid born into poverty in an obscure village 2,000 years ago to a human mother and raised by a human foster father. He commands an army of supernatural beings called angels, but refuses to use them to conquer earth. Instead, he lived as a wandering teacher and gathered a little group of friends around him and taught them about true devotion to God, a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial for the sake of love. He was killed, but then was raised from the dead by his uber-deity father and invites all humans to trust and follow him in his way of holiness and humility before God and love for one another. They worship Santa by eating themselves into a stupor on rich foods and then complaining about the metabolic consequences. They shop and they give and receive gifts, returning the gifts to the stores from which they came for ones they like better. They overschedule, they wear festive clothing, they decorate their vehicles and pets as reindeer and decorate their houses with thousands of tiny lights and bring trees into their dwellings. Jesus is worshipped by singing songs about him, holding special, special rituals of observance, 
by giving money, presents, and food to the poor, by opulently decorating their houses of worship, by greeting one another with the words, Merry Christmas. Most of the Jesus followers also enthusiastically participate in the Santa rituals as well, in communication. So, how would you explain Christmas to people who are aliens to Christianity? The purpose of Luke's gospel was to introduce people to Jesus. To introduce people to Jesus who didn't know anything about him. To use the Apostle Paul's word, Luke wrote this story of Jesus to introduce the Son of God to aliens. In other words, Luke's gospel was written for Gentiles. And Gentiles means outsiders. So it was written for people who did not grow up with the faith of Israel. But these are the same people who need to know that Jesus is their Savior too. So 2,000 years ago, when Christianity was in its infancy, the first Christians had the challenge of introducing Jesus to people who were in a world already full of gods. These were people who believed in the supernatural, but they believed that if you make the right sacrifices, if you pray the right prayers, if you say the right words, the gods will give you what you want, or at least leave you alone. In a pagan culture, the smart thing to do was to align yourself with the strongest gods, the ones who would help you and who could get you what you really want. And so to Jesus, excuse me, to them, Jesus looked like a loser. He was nothing more than a wandering peasant teacher, crucified by the Romans as a common criminal with other criminals. His 15 minutes of fame, his short, sad story, should have ended there. So why should people believe in Jesus when they could decide to believe in Santa Claus? Luke knew how hard it was to get people to pay attention to Jesus in a world of distractions, a feeling we know very well ourselves. And besides, Luke was an alien himself. He was an outsider. He was not one of the people of Israel. The ancient historian Eusebius tells us that he was from Antioch, that he had a Greek name, that he was a physician by trade. Luke had also learned, however, from the best. He'd been part of the team of the Apostle Paul. For years, he traveled and worked with and observed one of Christ's greatest messengers. And in that time, he learned how to tell the ancient story of God's love in a way that both Greek and Hebrew could understand. He could tell that story in the Greek and Roman world as easily as others could tell it in Jerusalem. Luke knew that in a world of false gods, his job was to help the non-Jews focus on the real thing. And here's how he did it. Luke built his case on four things. First, Luke's story is based in reality. From the very beginning, Luke declared that the story of Jesus was not a legend. It's not a myth. It's not a fiction. It's not a fable. It really happened. Listen to how he begins. He says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now this didn't take place in some mystical golden age or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It didn't just happen out there or back then. The birth of Jesus happened in this place, in this time, while these people were in charge. Jesus was a real person who really lived. And he's saying, you can go and you can check that out. Second, Luke's story shows where Jesus came from. Even though we didn't read it today, like Matthew's story of Jesus, Luke's story includes a genealogy. This is the first century version of one of those Ancestry.com 23andMe DNA tests. The pagans, you see, respected genealogy because it gave credence to his authenticity. His genealogy says that Jesus was a man with a family and a history. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, they were like Southerners. They worshipped their ancestors. To them, family and family history was important. And the pagans would want to know who Jesus' father was and who his people were. They would want to know who his mother was. And so Luke wrote, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Third, Luke's story also appeals to the rational thinker. Luke was by profession a physician, a man of science, such as it was then. As a Greek, he knew that people loved to debate, sometimes to get to the truth, sometimes just to show how clever they could be in their skepticism. And so it was necessary for Luke to include the angel Gabriel's conversation with Mary and to show that nobody was more skeptical about the miraculous birth of Jesus than Mary herself. When the angels told Mary, excuse me, when the angel told Mary that she would bear the child of God, Mary said, "How can this be? Since I am a virgin." In other words, angel, explain yourself. And the angel said, "Here is your proof. Two things. Number 1, God has already made it possible for your cousin to have a child even though she's old and barren. This is the story of Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. And number two, if you believe in a God who is real, who really exists, and who can create the world, then it is absolutely logical that such a God could become flesh and be born of a virgin. If you really believe in God then you must believe that nothing is beyond his power. That's actually a logical, rational argument. And Luke wanted to show the pagans that Jesus is real and faith in him is rational. But then finally, Luke knew that there was one more thing he had to throw in. If Jesus was really the real God, then people were going to expect some razzle-dazzle. 
One of the problems that the pagans had with Jesus was that, I mean, frankly, he just didn't look like a god. He was too humble. He was too poor. He was too passive. And frankly, if he was a god, how could he be so weak and so mortal? And so, where Matthew was somewhat frugal with the supernatural details, Luke holds nothing back. In Luke's story, there are angels everywhere. First, the archangel Gabriel comes to Mary. And then, after Jesus was born, the birth of the Savior was announced by a heavenly choir singing, Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke is making the case that even though Jesus doesn't look like a real God to you, this is what God really looks like. And he doesn't stand aloof like Zeus or Mars or Aphrodite or Poseidon or Isis or Thor. No, God doesn't look like any of them. He looks like Jesus. So how does Luke's Christmas speak to us? You know, we live in a culture a lot like Luke's. We live in a, a culture that is largely alien to Jesus. And especially to the real story of Christmas. I mean, how many people do you know if they tried to explain Christmas would sound a lot like that Martian scout I described earlier? So this story speaks to us as people who are so distracted by shopping and eating and traveling and programs that we lose sight of the real God. We are so beholden to the world of idols. I mean, they have different names, mortgages, jobs, money, health, politics, relationships. We're so beholden to the world of our idols that we barely take time to heed the announcement of the angels. That unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Instead, we just keep tending to our flocks. But Luke wanted his readers and he wanted us to know that God is not like all those other gods who want something from you. You know, all those other gods, whether they're spiritual or secular, they want you to have to buy your blessings with some sort of sacrifice. No, Jesus was born to show us that the real God is different. He's a God who loves us so much that he gave up his divine place and heavenly privilege to get down here in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our humanity to lift us up and take us where we could not go on our own. And Luke was telling these Gentile pagans that this Jesus is not only the Savior of the Jews, he's your Savior as well. As the angels said, this is good news of great joy that is for all people. He's the Savior of not only those people who are close to God, but also of those who are far away. 
not just geographically far away or culturally distant or separated by history, but those people who are emotionally distant, who are a long way from having Christ in their lives. He is the savior of the outsider as well as the insider, of the Jew first and then the Greek, as Paul writes. And so what should we do with that knowledge? We begin by remembering that most people that you know, even many of us gathered here today, are aliens. Outsiders who've never heard the story. Who've never had it explained. And we need to, ha- we need to get back to basics and explain who Jesus is and why we should bet our lives on him. Why, would we, sh- why we should trust him with our lives Especially when so many people think that his birth is just a myth or a folktale to justify a midwinter holiday and a spending binge. The reason that we do this pageant every year is just to get very basic and just to take time in a way that always hooks people, just to take time to tell the story. And not just the Christmas story of the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the baby in the manger but the personal story of a real God and who he is and how he makes a difference in our lives. Not just way back then, not just over there, but right here, right now, and forever. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we are gathered today to celebrate a time of of joy and to celebrate our children's ministry as we watch the pageant later this morning, we ask you to help us to remember that you brought us this story in a beautiful way and it was retold in an engaging way because you want people to know who Jesus really is, where he came from and why he came. So Lord, help us not only to receive the Christmas pageant as a fun and cute experience, but as a way that we can relate the story of your coming and your present meaning to those aliens, those strangers, those outsiders who do not yet know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.